why I said to you, I'm not going to assume anything this, this year. I said that I am going to be very, very um, clear and not presumptive and things like that. And so I want to keep that promise as we're going forward. I want to say something to you this morning that if you've heard it before, just indulge me. If you've not heard it before, pay very close attention. There is a battle, a war that goes on in the heavenly realms for your soul. You don't see it. As I said, it goes on in the realms you can't see. But there is a war. The scripture teaches us that there is a war that goes on for our souls. Listen, hey, the body's not going to last forever, right? The mind's not going to last forever. You know what part of us lasts forever? Our soul, our spirit. And so there's a war that goes on for our soul in the heavenly realms. The Bible is very, very clear about that. And so if you've not heard that before, hear it now. If you have heard it before, don't forget it. Always remember that the body will pass away, the mind will pass away, but the spirit, the soul, will, will live forever. And you and I, are uh, a battle is waged for the soul of every human being. The Bible teaches us that. This morning I want to read from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and following. This is a passage that you probably also have heard before, but again, I'm not going to assume things, so we're going to continue to press forward and look at some basic things regarding our own spiritual lives. Today, from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, my friends, this is the authoritative word of the living God. It is the foundation upon which our lives, when we live them at best, they're built on this word. Will you please stand now for its, for its hearing and for our reading? This is God's word for us for today and for this week. <clears throat> Humble yourselves, there, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. <clears throat> a number of years ago... There was a newscaster named Paul Harvey. Does that name ring any bells with you? Paul Harvey had a radio spot, a, a column he did every day called The Rest of the Story. Do you remember it? And one of the most famous insights was a spot Paul Harvey did entitled, If I Were the Devil. And in his column, he ruminated, he speculated about what strategies he would use if he were the devil. What would he do if he were in charge of evil? I found that incredibly intriguing. I won't share all of it with you. It's a little lengthy, but I want to just share a couple of excerpts from his take on if I were the devil. <clears throat> Paul Harvey wrote, if I were the devil, 
I would promote an attitude of loving things and using people instead of the other way around. If I were the devil, I would take God out of the school where even the mention of his name would be grounds for a lawsuit. If I were the devil, I would attack the family, the backbone of any nation. If I were the devil, I would persuade people that the church is irrelevant and out of date and that the Bible is for the naive, if I were the devil. I would dull the minds of Christians and make them believe that prayer is not important and that faithful, faithfulness and obedience are optional, if I were the devil. If I were the devil, well... I guess I would leave things pretty much as they are right now. As I said a minute ago, I found that intriguing. And it set me to thinking, <laughs> it set me to thinking what, what I would do if I were the devil. If I were in charge of evil, if I were in charge of the dark side, what would I do? What would I do to entice you away from God? And incidentally, as part of this whole reflection and meditation, I also wrote some notes down about the flip side of this. What if I were God? And much more presumptive speculation, I know that. But I thought, well, I'll make some notes about that, and that sermon will come one week from today. But for today... If I were the devil, what would I do? Now, I want you to take notice of what the Scripture says. Um, if you guys could pop that back up on the screen, that would be great. If you can't, that's all right. The Scripture passage says, Be alert, because our enemy, the devil, roams around like a lion looking for someone to devour. That's a pretty vivid image, isn't it? In other words, the Bible does what it, has done, what it does all throughout is it reminds us that evil is real. Whether we believe it or not makes no difference. Whether we blow that off or not makes no difference. All we need to do to confirm that evil is real is to read the news, watch the news on TV or computer, look deep inside ourselves. What would I do if I were the devil? What strategies would I use? I want to just mention a few of those to you this morning. What would I do if I were the devil? If I were the devil, the first thing I would do is I would seek to make sin attractive. Because it seems to me, who wants to go against the will of Almighty God unless there's a pretty good payoff for having done so? So I'll say it again. If I were the devil... I would do everything I could to make sin attractive. I would do everything I possibly could to make it look good. 
Incidentally, I checked out the definition of the word temptation. I mean, we throw that word around a lot. You know, we're tempted by this and tempted by that and big temptations and little temptations. I checked out the definition of the word temptation. Temptation is to entice to what is wrong by the promise of pleasure or gain. That's it. To entice to what is wrong by promising, not delivering, but promising pleasure or gain. And that's exactly how sin works, isn't it? It it promises something good to draw us in. In other words, sin has a facade of beauty. It delivers some, everything up front. Sin front loads the attractiveness. So, I'd like to ask you to think of your own temptations for a moment. Because what tempts you and what tempts me may, may be very, very different things. And it's not going to do you any good today if you're thinking about what tempts your kids or your neighbors or your spouse or your friends. No, no, this, this, this is personal. And it's only of value today to you. It's only of value if you're willing to look at yourself. This is not one of those sermons where you need to be thinking about somebody else or elbowing your spouse or elbowing your whatever. No, this is about how does this speak to me personally? What is it that I find attractive that has the potential to take me in a direction I don't want to go and will take me to places I don't need to be? Because sin never begins by telling you the bad stuff first. Please get that. Sin never front loads the consequences. If you get nothing else out of today's message, get that one line. Sin never front loads the consequences. As I've said before, what what if... Krispy Kreme donuts out, out front. By the way, this was a little, uh, um, this was a little uh, Christmas thing that was given to me some time back. And it's Krispy Kreme, and if you can't see it, it says, Hot Donuts Now. And do you see the light? I saw the light. There it is. But what if Krispy Kreme, instead of having a sign that says, Hot Donuts Now, What if Krispy Kreme's sign said, gain 10 pounds now? (laughs) I am not equating sin with donuts. That's something I want you to make clear too. you, You get the point. What if the hangover came first? What if... What if all this, uh, what, if, what if all the headache and all that stuff, what if all that stuff happened first? What if when they send you those credit card invitations, what if they said, 
there may come a point where we'll charge you $150 a month just in interest alone. I remember seeing a picture, a poster actually, in a doctor's office. had a beautiful, beautiful young woman on it, and she was covered all over in tar. And the caption went something like this. What if the outside of you looked like the inside of you? Would you still smoke? So part of what I want to do this morning is raise our awareness that sin is seductive. One of the best books you can ever read, it's in my library, I'm sure many of you have seen it, is C.S. Lewis' book called The Screwtape Letters. If you've never read The Screwtape Letters, it's worth a read. It's not a hard read, not a long read as you can see, but a great little book. Read it, it's a good one. But sin presents a facade of beauty. Not real beauty, but a facade to draw us in. Sin shows us the best side first. The scripture is simply reminding us that you and I have an enemy and the enemy of our soul is seeking to devour us and take us down. And if from the pulpit of this church you never hear this again, you will have at least heard it now. Sin seeks to draw us in. And sin seeks to draw us away from a holy God and a good God. And the way our enemy does that, the way our enemy has always done that, is by making it look good and fun and attractive. So, if I were the devil, I'd start by making sin look good and look attractive. Here's the second strategy I would use. If I were the devil, I would seek to make church people, and especially Christians, stumble. You see, I wouldn't worry about the ungodly people. They're already on my team. No, I would work on you. I would focus on you. I would do everything I could to make you stumble. Because you see, if I can get you, then not only do I win you away from God, but all those people out there who see what you did, and you're supposed to be a Christian, and that just reinforces this idea that they have that the church, fill in the blank here, class, the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. That's, that's, I would seek to get you to stumble. It's interesting to me, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it's interesting to me that Jesus began his ministry and when he did, at the very beginning of it, it's in Luke chapter 4, the beginning of Jesus' ministry is marked by the adversary attacking him. Check it out. And his purpose for doing that was to see if he could get Jesus to stumble. Because over and over in Luke chapter 4, it says, if you are the Son of God, then do this. 
If you are the son of God, then do this. No, the beginning of Jesus' ministry is marked by an attack because if the enemy wins on the front end, he deals the kingdom of God a knockout blow. We need to always remember, friends, that you and I are representatives of Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, it says, you and I are letters of recommendation from Christ to others. So if I were the devil, I'd work on you. I'd try to get you to stumble. Now, I know, I know people don't want to be thought of like this, and I, I don't want... I, I, I don't want people looking up to me. I don't want people to think of me as a role model. I just want to remind you that if you claim the name of Christ, that, that carries with it a certain way of living. It just does. So if I were the devil... I would do everything I could to make sin look attractive and I would do everything I possibly could to make you stumble because if I get you, then I get all the people in your circle of influence. Here's the third thing I would do if I were the devil. <clears throat> I would seek to get people to make excuses and believe the rules don't apply to them. You know what I mean by that? I'm special. It doesn't really matter. It's really not, nah, it doesn't really apply to me. I, I get people to say things like, well, it's all right this time. This, this one time, it, it's all right. It's okay for me in this circumstance. If I were in charge of the forces of evil, I would tell you that you are the exception. I would tell you that on this occasion, you're above the rules. The rules are for everybody else. It's okay for you to step outside the lines. Now, if I were the devil, I would do everything I could to convince you the rules don't really apply to you. Other people, maybe. You, no. I was watching a documentary sometime back. This is what I do. I watch documentaries. And in this documentary, they were interviewing Jerry Jones. Does that name ring a bell with you? Jerry Jones is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, and they were talking to him about the time Jerry Jones got arrested. As the story goes, Jerry Jones was pulled over. He was speeding. He'd been going about 50, over 50 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. The policeman pulled him over and was writing him a ticket, and Jerry Jones, <laughs> Jerry Jones just started up the car and drove away. And they tracked him down, and they arrested Jerry Jones. And in one of the church news stories, the United Methodist Reporter, it was re revealed that Jerry Jones was arrested on his way to church. And you're thinking, I wouldn't get arrested if I was, I would just let them pull me over. I, I church, I'd get to church next week. No, this was a little different. Jerry Jones was on his way to church, and that when he was pulled over by the police, he said, Look, 
I'm on my way to church. And the policeman said, sir, it doesn't matter. And he said, and this is true, he said, my grandson's being baptized today at the Highland Park Methodist Church, and we're going to be late. And the policeman said, sir, it doesn't matter. It was then that Jerry Jones decided to start up the car and drive away. In fact, he drove all the way to the parking lot of Highland Park Methodist Church, and they followed him there, and they arrested him in the parking lot at Highland Park Methodist Church. And I got to thinking about that. When that little baby got older, what kind of tales were they telling about his baptism and the day granddaddy wasn't there? It's okay for me. It's okay this time. I'm the exception. I'm special. The rules don't apply to me. If I were the devil, I'd get people to make excuses. You really are special. You're the exception. You're different. I want to, win, I want to mention one more. And this is the most important. If I were the devil, I would keep from people that the blood of Christ frees you from your sin. That sounds like something a preacher would say. But it's in the scripture, isn't it? I would tell you, if I were the devil, I would tell you that once you've fallen and, and you've sinned, this is the kind of person you're just are. You're just this kind of person and that you belong to me now. You've just really messed up. There is no coming back from this. And I would do everything in my power to keep from you that your sins, all of them, can be forgiven. I would do everything I could. And that you are not the sum total of all your failures. I'm going to say that one more time. You are more than the sum total of all your failures and all your sin. There are so many, many people who live life looking over their shoulder, looking in the rearview mirror at everything that's in the past, and their ceiling for life is so low because they believe they're never going to be more than what they have been. And if I were the devil, I'd say, that's just fine. That's just fine. But you're more than the sum total of all your failures. Last week in church, we did a little song called, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, it says. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, it says. I would do everything I could to get you to believe you're never going to be any better than what you've been. Because as long as you are imprisoned to the past, you will be convinced that your failures are fatal. My friends, please get this. 
Because way too many people live life looking down. Way too many people live life looking down, embarrassed. But the book says, those whom the Son sets free are free indeed. It doesn't say they're free if they didn't do this, if they didn't do... No, it says the ones the Son sets free, they are free indeed. So I just wonder today if I could just kind of nag you and prod a little bit. Have you had a point in life where you've received a message somehow or some way that you're never going to be any better than this? Because significant voices in our lives can sometimes feed us a lot of garbage, can't they? Did you, did you hear what I said to you? Sometimes significant voices in our lives can feed us a lot of garbage. This is the best you're ever going to be. You are a failure. Your mother was a failure. Your daddy was a failure. Your whole, your whole family's been a failure. This is the best you're ever going to be. And you know what? If I were the devil, I would say, right, right. But I'm here to tell you that is not what Jesus says. You are not the sum total of yesterday. When God looks at you, he does not see a mistake. He does not see a failure. No, if, if I were the devil, I would do everything I could to convince you that you're the sum total of all your mistakes. I would do everything I possibly could to make sin look attractive because remember, don't ever forget, sin never front loads the consequences. It always makes it look good. And I would remind you, I would remind you that you're special. You're special. The rules don't really apply to you. I think, let me see, I, I think, yeah, I wrote it down here. Winston Churchill was once speaking to the House of Commons, and he said this. We must always be ready to meet at our average moment anything our enemy could hurl against us at his selected moment. We must always be ready to meet at our average moment anything our enemy can throw against us at his selected moment. I just want to remind you of what I said when I started. There is a battle that goes on for you. And Jesus has already won. But I'm inviting you to receive that victory. I'm inviting you to receive that gift. Today, I invite you to receive it. And please know, please know, the one whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And that means you, and you, and you, and you, and you. What would I do if I were the devil? 
Well, if you look around at the world today, I think I would be pretty pleased with how things are going. I think I'd be pretty pleased with how things are going. Keep going like this makes my job easier. I want to invite you to wake up. Wake up and realize this is a battle for you and for me. But the one who has won the victory, the one who is in you, the Bible says, is greater than the one who is in the world. Don't ever forget that. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you today for reminding us that our soul is precious. Our soul is precious, oh God. Help us today to stop believing any lies, stop believing anything that we've come to believe that we're special, that, that, that it doesn't apply to us. Forgive us, dear God, for all the times we have taken the bait that sin has thrown at us. Forgive us for the times when we have given in because it looked so good. And help us today to remember the enemy will never front load the consequences. He will always make it look good. Today, O oh God, we open our hearts to you. And as we do so, we claim the truth that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Hang on to that promise, O oh God. Help us to hang on to that today and every day. As we close our worship this morning, we're going to open our altar for a time of prayer. And I'd, I'd like to just invite you to come and pray for strength. I'd like to invite you to come and pray, Dear God, please help me. Because guess what? You know what you're dealing with. And God knows. And I just want to invite you to come and pray for strength because the scripture teaches us that if we will ask, God will give to us the strength and the grace we need. I want to invite you to come and pray for that or to sit where you are and pray for that. So at this time, the altar is open for prayer. If you want to come, come now.